Welcome to Conductor's Brew, everybody. Matt, it's good to be back with you in the backyard now again. And it looks like we're, I don't want to jinx this, but mostly clear of construction and uh, sidewalk repair. And looks like the roof has been fixed. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Good morning, Larry. It's good to be back with you, too. Uh, yeah, so far it's been very, very quiet. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, and it's and it's nice that we can enjoy. Uh, I, we're going to probably say this is the probably the final day we're going to be outside without uh, significant heating devices, perhaps because winter is arriving tomorrow. Yeah, we're supposed to get a couple inches of snow Sunday here. Yep, we're going. I'm I'm in a, a short sleeve shirt right now, um, <laughs> but, but I mean I'm always. Yeah, it feels humid too. Yeah, it's like today's like a mild summer day and tomorrow's winter. So there you go. <laughs> but we're 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 enjoying the weather today, and we've got the crew back assembled to do another installment in our quest through Beethoven. And uh, and we have a special uh, a little, a little uh, twist today. Yes. The brew of the day is actually coming to us uh, from McKeever, <laughs> uh, who is at an undisclosed location um, in the upper mountain range of the Rockies. Live from Montana. Somewhere. Live from Montana. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Matt McKeever and his brew of the day. Matt McKeever, take it away. Thanks all. Good to be back. Um, you are absolutely correct that I am up in the mountains in an undisclosed location. I might be uh, in Montana, which is which is fabulous. My brew of the day is not coffee, um, or a, a twist on coffee, I should say. Um, I am drinking a beer. Um, my favorite beer in the entire world is uh, this beer from the Kettle House Brewing Company in Missoula, Montana called cold smoke um and i think that i've given uh a couple to both matt and larry at some point yeah i had some it was um, really now this is a particularly special cold smoke because it is also infused with coffee oh so there it um, is there there's the connection there it is so <laughs> yes although granted we always so said this that is... the brew could be a beer too that's right we, we left it open yeah. the so logo you, says coffee matt, but... you've combined the best of both worlds here yeah I really, I really have. You know, I'm in, I'm in the gray area, which is, which is great. Or is it brown? Um, it, it, you're right. It is absolutely brown. Um, and I will say that in, in drinking this cold smoke with coffee, it essentially just tastes like cold smoke. Cold smoke. I, I've never drank smoke before. No. I have some liquid. I do have some liquid smoke. I, so I guess maybe I have too. drank smoke. Yeah. I, I like barbecuing um, with it. Yeah. All right. So, so how to the coffee? The coffee. How much does the coffee flavor play into it? You say? I don't think it plays in very much. Um, yeah. Cold smoke, as as it's on its own, um, I think at the very end kind of finishes with a little bit of a coffee flavor as it is. Mm. So the addition of coffee, I don't really think changes the flavor all that much, which is good because I I will wholeheartedly admit that I was very skeptical about this, mm. um, but in walking into the uh, undisclosed location that I am now at and opening the fridge and seeing that this was there, I figured, you know what? Why not? Yeah. Well, we, we could we could temporarily change the name of the podcast to Day Drinking with Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Nobody needs to know what time it is. Literally. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yes, we, we never said what time no, of day it's, it's this was happening. AM or PM? That's yeah. for you to decide. Is it, is it, is it 4 p.m.? Is it 10 in the morning? We don't know. Well, you know what they say. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Absolutely. Fair enough. Well, uh, you're going to bring some of that back with you, McKeever? Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we can all we can all do some day drinking next week. 
Um, well, thank you, thank you, McKeever, for joining us from your remote location, and thank you, Brandon, yes. for being here in person. You're welcome. And and with snazzy shoes, nice to shoes, say, thank to you. say yeah. the least, which coordinate with the socks, and that's just yeah. that's this next Blum level black. style right you there. You see that every day, and it really works. You got to, yeah. got to. Where'd you get those? Got these online. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I got them through Zappos.com. Thank you, Zappos. So, okay. For the people who can't see Brandon's shoes, yeah. they are they're like black traditional leather, but they have this like this blue fabric thing on top. It's just I don't know. They're actually this is actually a navy blue. It's like a suede. Oh, it's a navy it's blue, a navy blue leather. There's like this kind of a oh, yeah, look at that. Navy blue leather. It's like a canvasy kind of thing yeah. that sort of looks like denim. Cool. Ah, so. I just yeah. I don't want to, I want to put it on like a zoot suit and <laughs> do do some some lindy hopping or something next, just, next time it's got that high, yeah. high level of fashion of the mid 20th century all right well let's get on with the, the main the main topic of the main day course. we are we are beethoving beethovening again today because we're getting down to his birthday yeah. and uh we uh we want to keep we want to keep going with this stuff because we're we're conductors and this is the ultimate nerd moment which is beethoven symphonies for me and today we're doing four and six. We're going to give five its own day, mm -hmm. which I think we're going to do next week. So we're, we're doing a little bit of out of order, <clears throat> but uh, but we want but we want to make sure that we have a, a pl plenty of time for five. Okay, so we want to tackle four first or yeah. six. What do you think, gentlemen? Let's just let's go in order, huh? Okay, all right. all right, we'll go with four. It's just so different from three. I mean, it, it really feels like it could have, could have come before three. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's so classical. The we're back to just what two horns, and that's kind of a departure. You would you would expect uh, for having gone to the third horn in the third symphony that he would stick with a larger instrumentation, but he does not. He pairs it down a bit, and the whole scope of the symphony I think is is he, he actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, man. I was actually going to say this is actually the smallest of symphonic instrumentation that Beethoven does right because he only uses one flute. Oh. Mm -hmm. That's right, flauto. Yes. Not flauti. Oh, Singular. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I never noticed that much to my chagrin. Ah. That's a good point. Yeah. The whole scope of the symphony, it feels less monumental than the third, but somehow more modern as well. Uh, of course, the famous bassoon solo uh, is kind of the highlight, uh, but it's it's highly underrated. I think it's not done nearly enough. It's mm -hmm. got some really sublime moments to it. Well, that's that's the thing is, uh, I was thinking about my own Beethoven uh, performance, and I and I was was going to have done this one already. I think no, no, I was going to do this one in the spring. Mm. Um, so I had my whole Beethoven. This was part of my Beethoven year, and I was like, well, I, I need to do four because yeah. it's um, it's the only one except for the ninth that I haven't done yet. Oh wow. So um, it's hard though. Number four. Uh oh. Oh, do we lose? Did we, we lose, lose Matt? I think we lost McKeever. Oh no! <laughs> Technical difficulties. It's hard, it's hard to get service in those little cabins in Montana. I know, right? His, his, his bunker doesn't have enough service. All right. Well, we're gonna take a break while we try to reestablish with Matt, and uh, we'll be we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that. So um. You had uh, we were talking in the in the break. You had done a presentation on this uh, symphony. I have. Yeah. Um, what was what was sort of your your? This angle? is a. Well, you know, it, it's really interesting how there's actually a couple of things that, with this symphony that are very uh, unique, and um, that other composers have actually kind of sort of taken little bits and pieces of 
um, and and kind of like re- repurposed in their own works in their own way. Um, I can speak to that just a little bit. But another thing is this is kind of sort of like what we saw in the third symphony, another time where Beethoven um, does borrow from himself a little bit. Uh, in the last movement of this, he incorporates this little bump up, 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 up that he had from the, the first movement. Um, and also, this is a really special uh, thing that we see in the uh, scherzo. This is the first time that we actually have uh, it, a double return of um, the actual scherzo and trio portion. So instead of it being like scherzo, trio, and then, you know, the second time through the scherzo, it's scherzo, trio, scherzo, trio, mm-hmm. last time through the scherzo. Yeah, okay. So it's, uh, it just expands expands out the, 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 the form. Correct. Did you, did you find anything, um, like, why he did that? You know, or any kind of explanation? I didn't. Yeah. No, I didn't. Um, but I, I, I do think, if, if I remember correctly, that this is the first of, I think, three times that Beethoven does this. Um, he does it in this symphony, he does it in the sixth symphony, hmm. and then he does it in the seventh. Um, uh, just that I think, you know, the, the movements are now expanded. I mean, I think, you know, as we as we kind of talked about a little bit in the, the podcast for the third, that now more weight is carried in every movement. And even though this symphony could arguably be sort of like the, I don't want to say the least important, but um, probably the most uh unwell known or not well known of the, oh, of the yeah. Beethoven symphonies and probably the least played of the Beethoven symphonies. Um, I think that this still carries a lot of weight for each of the movements. Um, and so I think that each of, each of the movements still have a, an incredibly amount, uh, like a different sense of importance, but not so much like the third or the fifth or the seventh or the ninth. Yeah. So do, do, we, do you guys have any, what are your thoughts about like, why, why isn't this played as much? It's just not as epic. I think yeah. simply it, it doesn't have, uh, it, it's more Mozartian than anything. And I think yeah. relative to the, like the third and the fifth, which it's sandwiched in between, it just is, uh, it's more, it's far more subtle, I think in its innovativeness and in its, in its impact. But I think emotionally it has so much to offer, especially the second movement. It's mm-hmm. just heartbreakingly gorgeous. Yeah, it really, it I really, completely is, agree. It really is wonderful music. And I was so looking, as I was saying before the break, uh, I haven't done it yet, and I was planning on doing it. Um, and I was really looking forward. It's, it's the, it's the uh, one piece of this uh, concert cycle that I was most looking forward to do, doing. Um, and I think part, but I think also part of the reason is it's, it is quite challenging, uh, even even for you know within the context of Beethoven's work. And I guess. If you're talking about a community orchestra or a school orchestra, and you're like, "Well, we're going to devote the time uh, to work on it. Let's do seven instead." Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to take take the time to, you know, to really challenge your group, you're going to maybe do one that's a little bit more well known or, or one that's, like you said, more epic. Mm. Um, so I think I think that's that's to me the the reason why I think it doesn't get played as much by school and community groups. Um, I think maybe pro pro. Um, 
orchestras maybe don't do it as much because it's, it doesn't have the, the tunes that are well-known. Um, not because there's anything wrong with the, the tunes in this symphony, it's just in comparison. Again, if you're going to do Beethoven and you have X number of Beethoven uh, slots in your season, you know, how many times does four get... You well, know, do, yeah. you bump three to do four or whatever. You know, I don't know. It, it's, it also, um, I think, to, to dovetail on that point, I think it, it it has less of a reward per its challenges. That's than, exactly right. Yes, than the other symphonies, especially three and five. Yeah, like I said, if you're going to spin the time. Yeah, I mean, the last movement is just it's just so difficult. It's yeah. almost all sixteenths for the strings. I know. And then the way it ends, it almost ends. Um, it, it almost ends too simply, and and. The reason I say that is it, it's in terms of Beethoven endings, it's very short. <laughs> yeah, there's a few fermatas, and uh, there's a slight recalling of one of the themes, and that's it. Yeah, and then it's done. But I wanted to go back to the the first movement. If there was anything specifically that anybody wanted to call attention to, I have a couple things that I, I just. I'm going I, to. Yeah. I'm going. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. So if you look at this that he has at the very beginning, uh, this falling fourth or falling third sort of thing. This particular motion is recalled um, in the finale of Brahms two, mm. and uh, the introduction to Mahler one. Oh, interesting. Ah. That's true. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that. I was thinking of another Brahms example, uh, it, it, except at the beginning of the fourth, which is all falling thirds. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There you go. They steal from the best. <laughs> that was kind of my, my, my big, uh, my big, my nerd moment with this, is that, you know, it's, um, it's definitely kind of taken... Uh, a little bit of a, uh, it's its own sort of character that other composers have now kind of looked at and saying, oh, that's like a really cool motive or that's a really cool idea. Let's integrate that into mm. our own works. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Well, uh, uh, Manala, you had something to add yeah. on, on the first movement you said? Yes. What is it? The, oh gosh. You know, I don't have measure numbers. Ah, okay. Where is that? I know that part. Yeah, I just think that's so quaint. It is. It's charming. It is. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know where it is. That's all right. All right. Well, very good. Well, there it is. For those of you with a uh, a Dover reprint. It's on page two hundred. That's right. Which yeah. doesn't actually have the page number on on mine. It's it's missing. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> but it missing it, on yours It's on two hundred one, so you can you, you can figure it out. That's right. It's right. Uh, measure. It's measure one hundred seven. There you oh, go. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. That means nothing to me. I have no measure number. But it starts <laughs> in the bassoon. Then the oboe and then the flute. And I think I think that's a wonderful. Mozartian gesture. Mm -hmm. Mozart does this sort of thing all the time, where he'll say one thing in the strings and then echo it in in the winds, yeah, and, or vice versa. And this whole this whole symphony reminds me of this of this kind of classical style with with lots of grace notes in places. Um, that's something that we can discuss actually is is how to play the grace notes. 
Mm-hmm. Or or the grace notes on the beat. I think it's before. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you hear it different ways sometimes. I also think it's before. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love I love this this pianissimo section after that. Uh, the pianissimo crescendo where there is this staccato half notes. Yeah, on page two hundred one, top bum, of the page two hundred one. Yeah, bum, 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 bum. I love this because it turns into a large three two pattern instead of staying in two two. Bum 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 And then it switches back. Yeah. Yeah. And as we were saying, it's like there's nothing wrong with the tunes in this. I mean, this symphony has such. You pointed out a great one, the woodwinds there, and this this other one right after it. I mean, there's there's such great music in there. Um, I just you know maybe someone needs to adopt it as a as a project to 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 put it out there more, but. Uh, you know, it is it is challenging that that fourth movement. I mean, when I was f- first sitting down to listen or to consider this to, for programming, and I was like, all right, I just got to make sure this is doable and everything. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I got the fourth movement. Like, uh uh-huh. <laughs> Yes, but that's going to be hard. And I was willing to say I'm willing to put in the time to do it. Um, and we can, and I and I know my my group uh, can can get it done, but it's just going to spend some time. But um, but you know, and everybody's making those decisions about. You know, putting in resources, and you know, it falls. It sometimes falls back because of it's just not as famous. All right, I've got another so, performance practice question. Oh, okay. This is in the development. Uh, okay. Two, page two hundred six, middle system. If you're in yep. Dover, uh, and, and if you don't have the Dover, and if you if you have measure numbers, it's after repeat. But this is after it's in the development. It's after the strings have done that sort of pre-developmental breakdown, and mm-hmm. the flute comes in with yep. that solo. And then the strings come in. First violins have this melody uh, doubled by the cellos, which I think is brilliant doubling. Or is it... That one you hear both ways, too. So do you turn the grace note into a quarter, or do you have it and here And here, if you notice, the grace note is different. It doesn't have the slash through it here. Correct. So I think that one's on the beat. Oh. McKeever, what do you think? I actually agree with that. Um, hey, because you could you you could actually turn that into, um, yeah, like and and keep it you know really consistent with that. It's very very much so in like a, a classical style. All right. Anything else in uh, in four, or should we want to move on to six? Oh gosh, I was just going to go on to the second movie. Oh, um, um, I, 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 by all <laughs> means, keep keep going, my friend. I'm not going to sure. I'm not going to slow you down. I, I think it's so interesting how the beginning of the second movement, the adagio, can be thought of as as, as being written for a string quartet. It's so bare. Uh huh. Oh, here come the oh, dogs. We've got some puppies. Hold hey, on. Beanie. <laughs> hey, buddy. Look at them hackles. You look like a big old wolf. Little miniature wolf. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that was it. Was it was it just? It looks like it could be written for a string quartet until he brings in the clarinets and the bassoons. Yeah. And the oboes and the flutes a little bit later on. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it definitely has that that look about it and that sound. Oh. We got dogs coming in. Um. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Jump ahead in the in the second movement, if that's okay. all right with everybody. Go ahead, man. To, uh, um, I'm trying to trying to, to find where this is in my in my score. It's uh, do you have uh, letter numbers or sorry, not letter numbers, but letters? Nope. Hey, I say letter numbers all the time. I'm glad I'm not the only one. 
Great. <laughs> okay. Uh, at letter at letter E. Okay. It's very interesting how Beethoven writes this because we really do have you know a a triplet effect both in the in the flute and then the strings and then everything else is still to the duple and it does create this mm. very off kilter sense especially when we get to um it's like there's these interjections that the oboes and the clarinets and the bassoons and the horns play um, intermittently between the strings and the flute that just sound very uh, they sound incorrect and they fall on different parts of the the beat in, in relationship to the triplet and it's just it's fascinating to actually kind of sort of hear for the first time a real duple against triple mm. um, kind of sort of in a, in a classical symphony so that, that, which of course we, we hear in Brahms all the time. Yeah, but, true. Uh, but Brahms is still considerably oh, late. Oh sure. Here, I'm just gonna say yeah. It's it's a, you know, a forerunner of that. Yeah. Good. Uh, good. Good observation. Third all movement. Right. Third movement. Yeah. What we got? Well, we already talked about the the scherzo structure. Yeah. That the, the extended structure there. Well, we can skip it. We can skip it. All and right. We talked about the fourth movement too. Did we? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Well, good deal, um, <laughs> Brandon. Anything to add? No, I just it's it's, it's interesting because I've been thinking about um, your comment about why is this not done. Um, yeah. And I think about that with a lot of composers too, is you know because composers have depending on who they are, they they have you know a decent amount of output, and yet there are certain pieces that we gravitate toward, and then we forget about the other stuff. Um, and I was just doing a quick little background research on this, and it was interesting that even in Beethoven's time, um, this piece kind of fell out of favor quickly <clears throat> because of three and five. Mm. How about that? And so it was that it was that whole thing where it just got overshadowed. In fact, there was a quote that I really liked um, by uh, Schumann, who actually this uh, this piece influenced his first symphony mm. um, but his quote was this he's like he called the fourth symphony a slender greek maiden between two norse giants <laughs> okay. as only schumann would describe it wow um, okay. but that was sort of the feel of it um, is that it was kind of like this great little verdant past you know valley between these two giant peaks that just got just got overshadowed. Yeah, okay. six points for Verdon. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting because you know even in his time, even though you had compute, uh, Berlioz liked this initially, um, and Schumann loved it, and Mendelssohn programmed this a few times when he was conducting. Um, so it, it resonated with with other composers and, and musicians of the time. But then, yeah, when you put it against three and five, mm. it just it, it can't hold its own against those two giants. And uh, Larry, you got a squirrel right behind you, and it's really cute because he's staring at you. Um, oh, squirrely. But, uh, yeah, I just, oh. you know, it's, it is interesting. It's one of those things that I, I think that, um, I think there's an opportunity for conductors yeah. to, in program planning, obviously, especially when, once again, when we can actually sell tickets to things mm -hmm. and make some money. Yes, that's important. We have to sell tickets and, and you know, a, 
a Beethoven three is going to sell like yeah. crazy. Um, if you plan four, people are going to be like, well, maybe. Um, but I think we, you know, I think we should. I think mm. we should look at at all these kind of like things that are in the shadows a little bit. Mm. Could play. Well, I was going to do it. Could yep. put four with five or four with nine. Oh or, sure. Well, I was going to do four <laughs> and six. Four and, and six. I was going to yeah. do. I was going to do four in March. Nobody likes six. Six. six is one of those ones that it, it's mixed. I think. I think it's one mixed of the best reviews. Ones. Yeah. Oh, it's it's one of my favorites. I have one but, other comment about this last movement. Yep. Okay. Well, we almost had a segue there, but bottom that's okay. Of, bottom of two fifty-one. So I, when I li- whenever I listen to Bach, I I feel the sense of these occasional moments of of rhythmic plotting. P l o d d i n g, not plotting with a T, but D. Not plotting. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. It's just really heavy and really really emphatic. Mm-hmm. And Bach does that a lot, and I I, I liken it to. Uh, to the sort of this heavy metal feeling of you know the 16 late 1600s it was heavy metal before heavy metal was heavy metal beethoven does this too bottom of headbanging page music with a wig. it feels like headbanging music look at the sforzanos at the bottom of 251 yeah it's just i i just want to just want to smash my face into something Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, I, I don't. But but really, it feels so so discordant and so um, emphatic. And then he follows it with this just this little light, and then right back into the headbanging stuff. Yeah, it's that contrast that I think is is what makes this really romantic, uh, a romantic symphony, despite its classical tendency. Oh, nice. Well, apparently that squirrel is still behind me, and, and Brandon's yeah. down the on the, uh, on the. You're on gonna the tell me if he's like gonna seed. come at me, right, Brandon? Like if, you, if he attacks, I'll let you know. If you if you <laughs> well, picked up sunflower I seed, it'll... I bet it would. But I think I, right uh, now he's just interested in hybrid and you know storing, uh, stocking up on his store before the snow hits this weekend. Well, I I, I, I love squirrels, but I also don't want to get interesting bit. facts. Yeah, about the squirrels. squirrels bite? Oh gosh! They stockpile. Yeah, you know, and they forget where they leave most. But of the their... reason they stockpile is because they don't know where they put most of it. <laughs> it's not because they know exactly where it's all at and they want to just hoard all the food. They forget, like yeah. you were saying. They don't remember, so they have to put lots of stockpiles out there. <laughs> okay. So hopefully they'll come across them. Anyway, thanks for the random squirrel <laughs> knowledge. That's, that's... It's the rant of the day. There you go. I did not know that, but it makes sense. They have very small heads and <laughs> must have small brains. Okay, let's. Move you know, on if to... I if I can, sorry, if I can piggyback off of Brandon's comment earlier about um, squirrels, just for for one, no, not about squirrels, but oh. about programmatic elements and and you know programming this, uh, you know when we're able to, you know, sell tickets to concerts and have people in the hall and everything, you know, I was doing a little research um, on this and looked back at um, uh, the. Not the the last purely orchestral work that Beethoven wrote, but the one that is closest in relationship to this opus number wise, and it's the fourth piano concerto, mm. um, which I find interesting that he again in the fourth piano concerto also only uses one flute. Huh. Um, so if uh, conductors are you know trying to save a little bit of money or orchestras are saving a little money to. Uh, uh, not higher oh, out the entire go. orchestra. These two could pair very well together. That's a good point, man. If you, if you if you don't have enough flutes, which is usually not a problem, should we cover the concertos at some point? Because they're just marvelous. We're not going to get to them before December. Uh, I'm pretty. Well, at least we can do maybe four or five in the violin concerto. All right, we'll we'll, we'll see how we go. <laughs> we, yeah, we'll find out. We'll we'll, we'll keep going. We we will spice things up a little bit. You know, we're not going to do. 
uh, Beethoven every week, but uh, you know. Well, we're about to. I mean, we skipped. We're skipping five for now. Um, Should, no, five's next week. It's next. We are next doing week. a block. But I, I, I'm. Well, <laughs> let me try that again. Okay. <laughs> that is all to say that <clears throat> Beethoven uses trombones for the first time mm-hmm. in five at the end. Yep. Yes. And now we're going to six. Yes. And he also uses trombones here. That's correct. In the end. So I think it's interesting. But then he never uses them again in any other symphony. That true? He didn't use them in nine. There's not trombones. Well, in I mean, nine, except right? for nine. Are there trombones in nine? Yeah, I think Are you so. Sure. I think there's four horns, but no trombones. Get the Daniels. Yes. I'm pretty sure there's four horns, but no trombones. <laughs> I feel like I should. Have. I feel, like, look I, it up I feel right like, now? like I'm wrong. Yeah, I have we'll, to like we'll turn in my trombone. While well, you guys part. segue into six, I'll I'm pretty go. sure there's four horns, but no trombones. Well, anyway, yeah. um, let's talk about six. First question: Do you do the little I'm, tiny bit retard? Ah, I love that question. Now I'm pretty sure there's trombones in nine. Brandon, Brandon's fact checking. <laughs> Brandon's fact checking. I'll bet you a case of that beer. All right. All right. Uh, I believe there is. Okay, yeah, he's still <laughs> looking. He's still looking. We're, right. we're all looking at Brandon. We're talking Brandon's about the like, retard. The little, the little retard yeah. people take right. Da 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 Oh, are you still there? I am. What do you think? Ever so slightly. Mm. Ever so slightly. All right, Brandon, what's your vote? I like it. I think it sets the stage. Like, but you like, you like, dee da 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 da. I don't want anything. Or, no, no, I don't want anything that's too drawn out. So, but or, I, I do think there should be like a poco ritardo. Just a little bit. Just okay. A little bit. I agree. I'm, I'm in this camp. We are all unanimous. Um, I don't like that's like too schmaltzy. Yeah, it slows it down. Yeah, and then and then you know doing it is just it's it's too quick into the fermata. I think. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a wrench into this. A long time ago, I heard a recording of it that just changed totally changed my conception of the piece. It was a Carlos Kleiber recording that it's hard a little hard to find, but. It's out there. It's on YouTube if you can find it. His tempos are extraordinary. He doesn't take any repeats. It's just like one long tone poem, really, a through composed tone poem. Mm-hmm. And he rarely adds any anything that's extraneous. There's one or two places where he does add a, a slowing or a pulling, a pushing. I should say that it, it, with with the warning that he he often will will move the music along or hold it back a little bit according to uh, other means, uh, things we don't necessarily think about, like where the line is going um, and I'll give you an example um, after the first theme is played and the strings come back in and play it at um, uh, gosh where is it uh, top of page uh, 90 measure 37 he actually pushes the time there a little bit sort of like you know well this is supposed to be what warm feelings or, or Pleasant feelings, pleasant feelings upon arrival, arrival in, the in the countryside. Yeah, yeah. so it's sort of like uh, we're waking up here, almost as if. Uh, uh, I mean, I can envision Debussy hearing this and writing it prelude to the afternoon of a fawn, based on on the beginning of you know how this opens. You know, just very calmly. Oh, here's a drum oh, line. Okay, yeah, that, that was that was the the l- older loud version yeah, of the FedEx loud. truck. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's this. This is this is and, like maybe I think of Beethoven in the carriage riding. 
and he's going along as he gets to, and he gets to the top of the hill, and the bassoon comes in, and the carriage goes down the hill again as the day crescendo. So, yeah, um, there's three trombones and nine in the second and fourth movement. Oh. Da da da. McKeever, we are redeemed. <laughs> Did you hear? Yes. I, I get to keep my trombone player card. I was just doing my stick the landing pose. <laughs> and he sticks I stand the landing. corrected. So let, let me let me jump back then to this idea because Matt, you mentioned this uh, just now the tone poem. Mm-hmm. The idea of a tone poem. Because uh, this is a conversation that I've had with people, and I know people have been having about this piece. Oh, general, yeah, this is, yeah. Is, what is this? Mm, yeah. Because not only are we have these five movements, which is out of the norm, um, but they all have titles. Yeah. Is it's, it like a program symphony? It's a, a program symphony. Symphony Fantastique. Which, yeah, Symphony Fantastique, and then all of a sudden, you know, you later we'll get to the, the list and all that kind of stuff that happens. And then the argument of program music, program music versus absolute music. How far down the rabbit hole do you go with this? And is this really uh, just a huge pictorial symphony of these scenes of peasant life? Mm. And what? should it be? Should that be the the conception and the and the way we and we the way we go forward with this? It's like, yes, this is a Beethoven programmatic. Yeah, I had to think about it. So I think there are clear elements. When I think about programmatic music, I think it it serves two functions. It sets a scene, and it's descriptive some way of a of you know it sets a mood or and it describes a scene or tells a story. I think you could clearly say there's there's descriptive elements in terms of describing a scene. Um, Even in I mean, so pleasant feelings upon arrival in the country is not necessarily a scene, except for you're arriving and it's Mm -hmm. in the countryside. Um, and so, and I, and I think in that beginning, uh, starting at measure um, sixteen, so I, 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 like I said, it sounded like the carriage kind of going up a hill and then down a hill. That's just my own little interpretation of it. But it has a, a, a sense of movement, as in like you're physically going into the countryside. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of driving kind force, of galloping sort of. Yeah, yeah. a galloping sound yeah. and da da dee da da. Very very pastoral kind of a feel to it. Um, and in this, and I don't want that to end the first movement too quickly, but since we're talking about it in general, the yeah. second movement, seen at the brook, you know, definitely stuff that sounds like moving water. Uh, you know, it's like Vivaldi's yeah. spring, uh, you know, the the, the, mm-hmm. the moving water sound in, in the in the spring, first movement. Uh, it's got the same kind of elements too. So I think it's clearly de- depicting um, a physical thing that you would see in the scene. And then of course the thunderstorm. You know, it's yeah. you know, it's thunder yeah, no, and lightning. That's, that's, it's, that's that's pretty that's pretty uh, clear. But then the last one, it's like shepherds. I mean, so it, it it's not as near, you can definitely say it's not as nearly descriptive as something like a list or a smet in a tone poem. You know, like we're on the river, like in the Voltava, we're on the river, and here's the peasant wedding dance, and here's the hunt scene, and now we're in the rapids, and now we're going mm-hmm. by Visharad Castle, and we hear the theme again. You know, it's not nearly as descriptive as that. But there is definitely some kind of, you know, non-musical elements being represented here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't think it's purely just sort of in the pastoral, the old pastoral style. I think it's definitely moving towards what would become programmatic music. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear that symphonists uh, who came after Beethoven 
like Berlioz looked to this as a as a model. So I think Schumann did even. Too, oh sure, with his I mean, his symphony stuff. Yeah, so, uh, Rhenish so, symphony. Yeah, yeah. So my next question then is, why the heck did he write this? Why did he write it? It's so it's. it's I like he liked the countryside. He did like the countryside, but yeah. it's just like he comes off the heels of the of the Fifth Symphony. Yeah. Heavy dramatic stuff. Seventh, another serious. It's symphony. a palate cleanser. And all of a sudden we have this. Beethoven happy moment, which is a little odd mm. for me to still kind of conceive. Is like, I know he was a big fan of nature. He took hikes and walks all the mm-hmm. time. That yeah, was and he was solace. He would take his note when he was young. I mean, he was all about that, especially yeah. sketching all the time with his his tunes and things. Um, but it just, I think we get this. I think we. The reason I'm saying this is in my head, and I know growing up this way too. I, we get this image of Beethoven as this like surly, angry, <laughs> angsty kind of guy. And yet, I think mm. there's a lot of passion to him. Of course. Um, which may be why there's so much emotion inside of him. But I, I think there's this other side of him that we, that I know I forget sometimes mm. is there. And maybe this is sort of like, you know, this tender. I don't know exactly what was happening in the moment he decided to sit down and write this in his life, if he was like in a good space mm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's, it's really interesting to think about how different this is from the sound of the fifth. Um, or the third, for that matter, and and how different it is in, in his writing approach to this. Well, I think I have two thoughts on this, and um, not backed up by scholarship, so this is just Larry <laughs> throwing stuff out there. Why not? Um, <clears throat> you know, the, so the pastoral tradition, we talk about the Vivaldi's spring, you know, it's long established, and I think maybe he wanted to just do a symphony in, in, in that style, and then it, maybe he made it more descriptive, um, you know, out of out of some, out of some desire to to be to express something more personal of himself, you know, because we we always I always think of him putting his own personal emotions into his music, and the contradictions in his personality and the mood swings is, for example, is very evident in his music. So this, you know, he wants to maybe it's like an homage, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean not an homage, but like a well maybe that is the right word. But anyway, you know, to sort of celebrate. His love of nature and the time mm. he would spend out there, at, you know, he'd get to stay in the country houses of these patrons that he had. Um, so he he wanted he wanted to do something that reflected those strong feelings. You know, if you're a, a nature nature person, uh, you, you you might want to write a piece that celebrates nature. And so he was, you know, one hand wanting to you know like I said take a a, a stab at the pastoral style, and then made it a little bit more. Uh, descriptive to make that connection with his own personal experience. Mm-hmm. So that's there's, my that's my crackpot theory. There's also a bit of precedent for this kind of approach, or this rustic uh, seasonal approach, if you will, uh, in Haydn's The Seasons. Sure. What do you mean by seasonal approach? Uh, it, it, the sense that we're getting like a spring, uh, water, and uh, a summer thunderstorm. Uh-huh. Maybe there's fall in there somewhere. Oh, you, so you you see seasons in the sixth and I, I see. Yeah. Maybe now that's. Just a, I've never actually man. heard heard that theory. So I I'm, I'm all ears. Well, I, I don't know if it's a theory per se, as it is a, an observation of, no, of yeah, it, a depiction of uh, like Vivaldi's seasons. It, it's sure. you know an abstract depiction of of the sounds of certain kinds of outdoor mm-hmm. elements. Uh, and to that point, uh, the very first bar of the piece has this really rustic feel, and I think it comes from this open fifth. I think a lot of a lot of this music is 
especially in the first movement, is is based on this pure fifth sound that he kind of revels on. It's it's almost early minimalism in in a sense where he where he he has these these pedal sounds, these mm-hmm. pedal tones that just continue for measures and measures and measures. And above that, he has these repetitive, small, rhythmic and harmonic units that that develop yeah. and, and really build nicely. And it reminds me of of of, of like John Adams. Yeah, or, it is. It is Philip Glass. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So oh, it's like early minimalism yeah. in a way. But Never the first that. the first note, which a lot of a lot of the times I think is is gotten wrong, uh, the the F and C, the open C in the viola, the low F in the the cello. Mm-hmm. Uh, has to be this really pure fifth that I think calls to mind um, bagpipes. Ah, I do agree bagpipe with drone. There's a drone quality to this. Yes, yeah. yes. And exactly if, what I was thinking. If too. we don't have this bagpipes. clear initiation of this fifth, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. It sounds like everybody's starting on the end of the beat instead of bam ba da ba ba da da. And sometimes you hear, you'll hear that in recordings where the viola and the cello don't really begin on time. It's sort of this this swelling into the sound, and then you can hear them once the first violins begin. But I think I think the, the viola cello needs a, a little extra pull at the beginning of their notes. Same thing in measure four. Yeah. Interesting bagpipes. I that's I, that's cool. I like that. I'm I'm down with that. Awesome. Yeah. Um. I see anything else in the first movement that's uh, that we need to ruminate on? I don't. I can't think of anything. There's a couple. Yeah, a couple things I wanted to call attention. I mean, there's, I'll go to the end of the movement. How about okay. that? Yeah. The very last chords. How much do you slow down in the last few measures, and how much space is in between each each chord? Okay. See. Oh, very. Uh, yeah, this is another thing where I think maybe a, a tiny bit of slowdown, but let's. You don't want to over overdo it. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, it I ruins just, the phrase if, yeah. if you slow down too much. Yeah. Dun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just enough to sort of let it relax. But uh, again, this is in this. This is a, maybe a whole other podcast. But mm. the, the we 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 are coming to Beethoven through the through the filter of the Romantic period yeah. and the early recordings. Uh, of Beethoven in the 20th century were were by conductors who were just fully on board with the post-Wagnerian mm. interpretation of Beethoven and conducting in general, and you know, go, going so far as to fully recompose sections as we yeah. talked about last time. Um, but uh, yeah, if it's not on the page. I'm pretty reluctant to do much of much of anything. How much just, is implied? I think is where right. the disagreement comes. Yeah, you know, how how much would just be stylistic? Yeah. You know, just good musicianship, or musical. Yeah, yeah, just you know, musical instinct that Beethoven didn't feel the need to write down. It's like, well, they're gonna they're gonna slightly slow this down and let the phrase expire. I don't need to put or poco retard in there, you know. But uh, at the same time, it's not a a big it's not a big thing. Okay, uh, I would just you know like to say that. Um, to put a pitch in for this, um, hmm. well, I'll, I'll come to that at the end. I'll come okay. to that at the end. I'll, I'll give my pitch later. Okay. Anything else in the first movie? Want to move on a second? Let's do it. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, this is clearly this is scene at the brook, and um, not scene at box houses. Scene on Bach. Yeah. I'm at I'm at in the country with Bach. No, Bach's name is so, Brook. Is it really? I guess yeah. so. A Bach is a brook. Yeah. Bach. Yeah. 
So anyway, yeah. So yeah, we, we're we're if, in case you don't have your score in front of you, we're, we're making nerdy references to the fact that the subtitles are in German. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's scene of the yeah. brook, and it has this triplet, uh, you know, twelve eight movement. There, it sounds like moving water. Man, this is a little hard to put together. It's I gotta really say, really hard. I huh. gotta say, it's really hard. Yeah, it doesn't look too scary, but mm. what makes it difficult? It's just it's just to kind of keep it coordinated. Well, the the tempo is tricky to keep it coordinated, I think, because you have to keep the forward motion of the triplet feel, but you're at a slow tempo. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. really and players it's hard for them sometimes to lock into that, yeah. especially just right mm. off the beginning. They just just to get everybody on the same page and get that water flowing. Mm. Yeah, and then just set the violins right on top of what's already happened. Okay. It's like figured. Figured. It's like, it's like are we are, are we to four yet? Everybody <laughs> kind of uh, yes. one. There we go. Yeah, it and is. It is tricky though. And like you know, okay, I have I have written in uh, dotted quarter equals forty six. Hmm. Beethoven gives us fifty. Fifty. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I think I'm leaning more towards uh, doing it as at at fifty now that I've you know yeah. as a more experienced composer. I mean composer. Not or, or at all. <laughs> experience conductor, even uh, a little bit faster, maybe. Yeah, I Andante so, molto molto. So uh, that's why we write things in pencil because <laughs> we change our minds. But uh, yeah, but anyway, I, yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right, Brandon. There's just something about it. It's just it feels a little tricky. I mean, you can get it, but this is what we were talking about before. You got to invest some time. Well, and I, I think there's a danger too in the longer melodic lines yeah. that come mm. out like in the clarinet and the oboe and stuff with or the bassoon you know where they're playing with the the melody and you get these long lines on top of that and man that can stretch yeah if you're not careful mm-hmm. yeah okay um so yeah mckeever are you there okay i see you now this is this is my favorite movement by the way okay Brand, Brand, brandon's got some got some juice on it what do, what do you what, do, what are your thoughts on on two second movement i should say are you there? I'm here. Oh, okay. I was saying, do you have any thoughts on the second movement? <laughs> I do. You know, um, I find that just talking about like what you guys were, were, were talking about as well, you know, there has to be a certain flow to this. And in talking about flow, it really does remind me a lot of the uh, Dvorak serenade, the wind serenade, where you don't really want to take the third movement of that too slow and you don't want to take this too slow even if this is technically considered the slow movement there has to be a groove kind of for all of these things to sort of fit in and the other tricky thing that i really do see in this is i'm i'm looking at this score um you know, as a, as a PDF on my computer, because unfortunately, in moving to my undisclosed location, I forgot to bring my scores with. Isn't me. that room in the bunker for your scores? And I just was uh, there. There is not. Um, there wasn't, I guess. Okay. Uh, got a and, right. and I was just, I was, I was scrolling, 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 and I just kept thinking, man, this is long. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Which is another argument for a faster tempo. Um, yeah. Just from a practical conducting standpoint, one thing that I, I found when I've done this, uh, and I, I did this early on in my uh, career, and then I came, I did it again not that long ago. And again, was supposed to do it again this spring, but that's another thing. Hmm. But uh, anyway, because to, to, to get the, um, uh, 
in order to, to represent the space of time of the triplet subdivision in the 12-8, you need to move a decent amount. You have to keep moving in order to show the space that the, uh, the, the three subdivided eighth notes fit into. And so this becomes a problem in showing dynamics, at least for me. And one thing I've struggled with is, because that requires you to move at a certain size, right? Mm -hmm. to, to have enough space so that you're moving constantly and they can see um, see that full that full beat. Um, so when you need to show go from soft to loud, you just have less room, less size change in your gesture to do, which makes the, the use of the left hand for crescendos mm. even more. So that's something I've, I've found that's kind of tricky. And, and dynamics are, are really crucial to this. So that's mm. just one little uh, very nerdy conducting comment I had about this. And uh, anyways, it's something that I, I continue to struggle with. Um, to really, to really have the, the the movement difference to show the dynamics. So. Okay, so I have a question. Yeah, the end of this, the bird calls, bird mm. calls. How much conducting do you <clears throat> give your players to play their bird calls? As much as oh, necessary. oh, good question. Let's see. Um, let me turn to it real quick. As much as necessary. Yeah. As much as they absolutely need. Yes, absolutely. I like to just kind of you like kind to of just mark. let them kind of go and just yeah. sort of like okay now you and, and I like to show yeah. the pickup into what is it one thirty one where the the quail and the cuckoo uh, play. I'm maybe I'm a control freak, but I, I was with them. You stay with all them. that, yeah. Okay. I, I I don't. I, I've, I've just heard both sides, so I'm just yeah. curious what yeah. you thought about it. Well, also, well, I think along with that question well, is how out of time is it? Well, one one all? thing I, I will say, I I give the flute time mm. uh, measure one thirty three. Um, if because they are all by themselves there, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. um, but but I, I I I get back in to really actively pulsing to get the oboe entrance in there. So the nightingale is good to coordinate that with the clarinet. You don't trust the quail and the cuckoo bird, but the <laughs> night, nightingale is good to go. Well, nightingale, I mean, she's singing all by herself, so we can let her go. But you know, within reason. But now I I. I just feel I feel like it's important for me to to reassure that it's so exposed, you know. Yes, it's it is so Very exposed, exposed. Um, and and one of the things that we as conductors have to do is is to be the handrailing sometime of the beat. You know, they know it, they can count and all that stuff, but we're there just to reassure them sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I I do get I do give a little bit of license there for the flute, but uh, not not once the oboe and clarinet come in. Okay, good good. Uh, Good pedagogical, or not pedagogical, but practical question. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Great. All right. Anything else? Second movement? All right. Thunderstorm. Mm. Well, not quite. No, no. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we, no, I'm we sorry. Gotta, yes. we got to gather the country folk first. Ah, later. Sorry. You know, I first, forgot. we got to have the party and then the thunderstorm. Party first. I, don't, I don't know about you, about you all, but my introduction to the symphony was, was as a small child watching Fantasia. Uh, and the original oh, Fantasia, yeah. and do you know what this scene is in, in Fantasia? I, you know, it's been so long. It's uh, is this the one with like the little, the little, the yeah, the little dude people or whatever? They're, they're all drinking grape. It's it's the wine juice. scene. It's the wine scene. Yeah, yeah. So that's I always right. think of just festival drinking, dancing. With, yeah, well, that's which probably is not what Beethoven far. was thinking yes, too think when he wrote right. this. Yeah. Um, and this yeah. reminds me that uh, this. Uh, uh, um, uh, Mendelssohn Five, uh, there, in his movement, it has a similar kind of feel. I always, I always, because it's about the Reformation. I always make make a joke, mm. and you know, because I love to do stupid jokes in rehearsal. How it's <laughs> a, how it's the Lutheran covered dish celebration, um, you know, or coffee hour or whatever afterwards. But um, it sounds like a party too. Uh, 
that that uh, that scared so. Anyway, but yeah, it, uh, it's uh, this is the party. Um, this is the uh, the party before the storm. So, um, and and I also I also like to take this a titch slower than as marked. Mm. I do half note or dotted half equals ninety six. Interesting. Yeah, because because I, I think of it as it's not like um, seven, which is like the you know the raging party this is like a, a simple country kind of party mm. feels like it's, it's maybe a little more relaxed and it also gives you a bit more room uh to do to make the stretto happen before the the allegro at 165 ah okay oh yeah 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 which sounds just like straight up some sort of folk dance yeah it yep. does yeah yep. it's clear it's, this is clearly you know drawing upon that um i had something else to say about that but i totally just left my head okay do that in one or in two pardon which part uh, uh the uh the uh 160 measure uh, 165 the, the two the i do it in two okay it's very dry too like one two one two one okay. you just lift up the wrist on two i love at the end of that that passage the the uh the long first violin and trumpet note, the E, that's held out. Like a, like a lost soul walking home after the party, wistfully remembering the festivities that have just occurred. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. There you go. Yeah. So, lost in the woods. Or maybe not lost, but wandering home. Okay, good. So McKeever, anything third movement? Oh, I, I have one more thing on that. Sorry, Matthew, if you had something to say, go. Uh, I just think I really agree with everything that everyone said. Um, you know, uh, I agree with you, with you, Larry, that I think that the two sections should be in a very dry two. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, Beethoven does write presto, mm. um, in the middle of this, you know, we, we kind of sort of get a little bit of feel of the time, and then he just automatically takes us just a little bit faster. Um, and I think that not only is the presto supposed to be more presto, but it also just needs to be heavier. And I've been using this example when talking to the campus symphony and trying to get them to play something with a little more weight. And I just, you know, use the term, you know, like, it's like you have like your Thanksgiving belly almost, <laughs> and and that's maybe how I see this a little bit. When he, whenever he has this presto in this movement, it's it's like, you know, it's like how we should almost feel as if we've just you know, like eaten our pumpkin pie and are for some reason you know we're crazy and trying to go on a run after doing that. See, <laughs> so you, you got your. You get the tryptophan working from the turkey. If you eat turkey, I don't eat turkey. Do. But yeah, all right, I, I, Matt. You know, I love it. You know, and, and, and he, Beethoven invites us to to have imagery in the symphony. He clearly is giving us license. So, uh, turkey-filled Thanksgiving, post-Thanksgiving run is uh, is yep. going to be a new one. I'm going to write that in my score. You know, it's the turkey, the turkey trot, the huffing for stuffing. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we're going to end that right there, just in case. Okay, thunderstorm. Oh, no, you had something, Brandon. Sorry. No, Matthew actually mentioned I was going to talk about the the shift of the presto, uh, which I think, Larry, if if you're taking this slightly slower than the marked tempo, 
then there's your opportunity to ramp it back up. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great. I think it's great. I love, though, at the very end of this, how he does not get to finish the fourth chord at the very end. He has to stay on the, ah. on the five, on the dominant, because then we have the interruption mm -hmm. of the, the distant thunder. So I think it's brilliant. All right. And that is a taka. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I know it's, it's not... It's, uh, does anyone have Baron Ryder of this? Is it, does it have a taka written in the... In the Matthew, are you looking at the Baron Rider? No, he's he's got IMSLP up. I'm on an IMSLP. Oh, okay. I don't know yeah, because it, it doesn't have me. it doesn't have a Taka in the Dover score. Uh, yeah, I don't know, right. but so, I mean, it definitely is because it oh, sets yeah. it up that way. But I, I think it's just sort of brilliant that all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, boom, shattered. Yeah, I hear I hear a thunderstorm coming in. There you go, run, run, run! Here comes the storm. Um, all right, well that's a that's a good segue. Let's move on to the storm. Uh, this one is really hard <laughs> to play. Uh, I gotta say, it's uh, fast. Yeah. Oh man, and and the seconds they they're just they're just out in front, man. Um, I have a question though on this, and this is just pure wondering on my part. Mm -hmm. Why not use the timpani to start this with the basses? Why just the bass and cello and no? Timpani? Maybe that's just too much. Is it just too, too present much. and it needs to be more distant? I, I just Could be. that's just something I've always wondered about. Is you have it, yeah. later, hmm. but I'm just kind of curious. You know, I've never I've never thought with, about why that. Why not start with a timpani roll? It's interesting. He doesn't use a roll of a drum versus just a tremolo on the strings. Maybe it was a direct shout out to Vivaldi because uh, his thunderstorm was just bass. He didn't have timpani. Maybe could be. I don't know. I'd, that's. I mean, I never thought about that. But uh, you know, like I said, but maybe maybe timpani was just too. Maybe he his timpani player didn't have soft mallets, and we'd be like, you know, yeah, I'm not, that up. Yeah, I'm not sure. That, I'm not convinced that that would have been a, a quote unquote idiomatic usage of timpani of timpani at that time. Um, but see, I, by the time we get to measure twenty one, there's the timpani roll. Yes, on an F, and then he's also yeah. got what C's in there. It's just C's and F. It's right? just C and F. Yeah. Well, then think of it this way: if if the timpani at the I mean, time were the timpani that, that that's true, you know, I mean, could have they come been, in on the on the D flat. So well, I, I think it it's just, have made sense. I think he's just be, saving it for the, yeah. I think well, he's just what? saving it for to be loud later. I think no, that's probably what also it is. A, it's, a, it's a practical thing. I think. How do you tune the timpani you up played, to D flat and then back D down to C? Yeah. because then we'd have like the real smooth timpani. I never looked at it that way. I think you're absolutely right. There you go. It just, it well, there just you go. Maybe that's why there was no timpani yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. I'm in the wrong Mystery key. solved. Okay, good. Um, another thing. Okay, we got cellos with uh, quintuple quintuplets and basses with <laughs> with straight sixteenths at C. Mm -hmm. uh, this is like, oh my God, how do I get this? I'm like, look, it's 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 just rumble. Rumble. Yeah. Don't 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 it's stress. Noise, right? <laughs> don't stress. But I think I just think that's you know attention to detail there. I mean, like obviously he's making that choice to keep the bases in straight sixteenths, and he splits the cellos, which is doesn't all, all happen a ton in Beethoven, but it does happen. Um, and has uh, has the cellos playing quintuples. Hmm. I just I don't know. I just point point pointing pointing that out is that's I just think it's really cool attention to detail there so it is it kind of keeps that like you're saying it keeps that rumble motion going yeah. because there's not you can't then lock into a definite yeah one two three one four one two three four one two three four it, 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 kind of, it throws it off a little bit yeah, that's right it does he, it, it make it makes it so you don't you don't hear he, he didn't want to hear it's, it's a robin thick blurred lines moment right there you go yeah and, and but he wanted to hear the upward movement right he didn't want just tremble he wanted yeah. to hear the line moving but he didn't want the line to line up exactly so that yeah. it sounded it's brilliant 
I know. Well, hey, man, Beethoven was smart. I think we've established that. Okay. Um, great. For, so, well, question at sea. At sea, yeah. Fortissimo sempre or fortissimo with a slight taper on each chord? Okay. I don't have a... I, yeah, no, I, I didn't make any kind of modification. I do I do have them do a, like a speed accent. Uh -huh. At the beginning of that, so I guess it, by nature of that, taper, it yeah. will be it'll accented and then it, it would come down a little bit. It would just yeah, just a little speed accent with the bow, uh, but not like a decrescendo kind of a thing. Okay, yeah, that's 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 my uh, my thought. Okay, good deal. All right, um, yeah, and then the, the storm rages and rolls. And uh, these, these hits of lightning. And and there's the trombones. Thunder. You finally get <laughs> to play at the, at the height at the height of the storm. That's where you want your trombones. Gonna yes. wake 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 up the audience. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not exactly an easy note to come in on. Yeah. It's a little high. A little high. Well, you know, but you know, they they would have been using alto, mm -hmm. alto trombones for the high part. Uh. You know. Uh, yeah. It's playing it on a tenor is not fun. A test, um, but anyway, yeah, there, there's the trombones. Uh, at G, letter G. Oh, oh man, FedEx is back. Hold up. No, it's oh, the forestry the... department. That's the city. Yeah. At G, the uh, the first violins have um, what I imagine are sheets of rain. You know those sheets yeah. of rain that you get through in thunderstorms? You just oh, yeah. Come across oh, yeah. The, the road. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And then, of course, um, <clears throat> what's so, it's just, I don't know, it's just so haunting this transition into the into the last movement. Mm. Uh, I, I don't want to cut anybody off if they, if they want to have anything more about the thunderstorm to say, but. Um, but anyway, it, yeah, it's just this 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 flute line as it just and you hear the storm dying away, you know, and it, it's, it's brilliantly orchestrated how that happens, and then this beautiful flute line yeah. rising again. It doesn't say ataka in the score, but it's it is, um, and it just goes straight into the fifth movement, um, which again starts with bagpipes. There they are. There are the pipes. <laughs> So the pipe, the pipers have come out after the storm. It's almost a cyclical form in a way. And I gotta say, you know, in terms of people say Beethoven didn't write melodies except for one. That's well, that's first of all not correct. But <laughs> this one, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not like an aria, but it's just, it's just, I don't know, it gets me. It's a good one. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's also some traditional kind of tempo fluctuation stuff here that people do, right? Right? Right before the the tune comes in in the violin ones. This is looks like it's measure eight. Um, after the horn, yeah. Again, a little. I agree. Stretch. Just a little stretch. Just a little stretch, but not don't don't uh, don't schmaltz up that yeah. moving line in the horns. I think that may be a product of trying to make the subito piano happen. I can see that, and that and then and, and that makes sense to stretch it a little bit, a little bit to have that happen. Yeah. So that that's again one of those good musical, in good musical choices that Beethoven didn't need to write down. 
that he would know that we would make the good musical choice. So, yeah, anyway, and then, you know, as this, the, the melody builds and it's just this epic moment. I mean, we, we, we don't think of this one as being his, one of his epic symphonies. This is a pretty epic moment here um, at, uh, what is it, measure 20, measure 25. The trumpets come in. Oh my gosh, the horns have the tune. Oh. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting a little misty over here. <laughs> this, this is my this is one of my favorite Beethoven uh, movements uh, of all of them. So, McKeever, what do you what are your thoughts? I completely agree. You know, uh, it the the minimal stretches is great, and I so I love how this movement really does allow all the instruments involved to open up quite a bit. Wait, so expand on what you mean by that. Are you there? I mean, I think what I mean by that is it allows um, a very bright color to come across to, you know, really kind of represent um, kind of the, the mood of this, the, the happiness of this, the calm after the storm you know, a sunrise or a sunset. And it really just has a more, um, you know, with, with what Matt was saying about the bagpipes, I think that bagpipes kind of sort of can, can sound a little rustic. And this does sound a little rustic, but it sounds like a, uh, a polished rustic. Mm, it's polished rust. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I, I'm, I'm with it. And, and I love this bagpipe concept. Mm. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm all on board on that. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that some of my favorite moments are Beethoven's transitions. For example, there's another one here, uh, page 151, uh, letter I just before that, uh -huh. uh, where there's, uh, at the top of the page, there's these fortissimo, this fortissimo expression of the theme, and then the first violin sort of wind down this arpeggio with the... Uh, flute and the oboe clarinet and then the low open fifths come back in in the violas and the cellos and then the horns come in with these low notes as well these pedal tones and and it's almost a mirage the way he he transitions back into the the theme itself uh, at letter I mm -hmm. that when that happens properly with the dynamics played properly that it it really becomes this magical moment of transition where all of a sudden we feel like wow how did we how did we get back to here all yeah. of a sudden it just works so beautifully and and th th you're absolutely right about in terms of keeping the balance there because it is it's just it's very delicate and then just all of a sudden boom yeah it's it's hard to describe um yeah yeah if you if you're not familiar it's a magical with the, moment that, yeah that, that piece or that moment but it is yeah, it's and it's just the way he breaks up the the line between the instruments and those timbre shifts. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, that's a really good way to say it. Those timbral shifts, I think, yeah. are are really what what make it remarkable. How how the sounds just sort of morph into other sounds. Then all of a sudden, we're back into the theme. Yeah, it's like it's like you're kind of going through a kaleidoscope of colors. And it's kind of misty and. Just, yes, you, you don't it know exactly is. where you're going. It feels misty. You're right. And then now you're you're. Maybe we, maybe we're in the woods at this point. I don't know. We can go crazy with this, and now we're back into a meadow, and we know where we're at. I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> I have oh another, man, I have another favorite moment after letter O, uh, page one sixty-five. 
you know, where the bases get to play out that low C sforzando. Where is this? Oh, uh, the top of 165. Yeah. Okay. Which would be interesting in his day because the bases would have to tune down. Well, not necessarily. They, um, a lot of those German bases, play, they play five string bases. They have the open C already. If they do, they're yeah. good. Because I know that was an issue with Schubert and some. Okay, stuff I might be wrong about that. You have to that. retune yeah. some of the bases. It's a German thing or a Viennese thing. I can't remember. Bassists, please write us and tell us. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they would have the open note. Leave, leave a comment. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd love to find out. Uh, by the way, I got a plug. Uh, so I, sh- I should be saying this. If you if you like the podcast, click subscribe. Yeah. We, I, <laughs> people, people always say that. At the top of the show there. That's right. Click subscribe <laughs> if you like what you hear. Okay, go ahead. I, I was thinking about the bagpipe thing. So I was looking online, hmm. and there's a Flemish bagpipe that was used in parts of... Whoa rural Germany um, called the Schäferpfeife huh. and um, Schäferpfeife it is um, it's kind of a smallish bagpipe um, it's a lot like what the French were using in some cases but the the interesting thing I, I saw about this is that the um, the pipes have a fifth or octave drum huh. that's what the pipes are set at so okay. yeah I think you know, and this was definitely used in the fields and by shepherds and things like that back in Renaissance times and medieval times. So I, I, I think it's not far-fetched to think that this is kind of mm. the sound that would have been there anyway. Maybe he heard it uh, when he could hear yeah. on one of his walks. So I, I don't think it would have been uncommon for them to hear. Awesome. Hear oh, thanks for looking of, that up. That's good to hear that know. kind well, of open, yeah. open chord drone. This is why the people tune in for Flemish bagpipe references. Flemish bagpipe this, references. This is, this is what yes. the world needs. This is Are what we going to have merchandise that says that? Do you Say hear what? people sing? We're going to have some merchandise, t-shirts. Yeah. Flemish bagpipe reference. Exactly. People bagpiping. <laughs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be our thing from now so on. So I I, I, I uh, wanted to say one thing. I know we're not to the end, but I wanted to comment about the we're end. close. Yeah. So we're coming down, and we have this this piano, and it's getting quiet and quiet and quiet, and all of a sudden, biom biom. Yeah. Um, this kind of flourish at the end. Um, I I like it, but I I wonder sometimes if it's a little. I think it may be just that's just the style for Beethoven because I think composers, you know, later on would have just kept it nice and quiet and all of a sudden just disappeared. Ah, uh, interesting. Um, Except for Smetana and the Voltaire. And then you have, but you know, the, for Beethoven, he's got to have kind of these powerful. Bum, bum. Bum, bum. Well, people got to know when to clap. It's true. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I'm trying to think is there any Beethoven symphony that ends quietly? Mm, I don't believe so. I don't think there is. Yeah. There's a Brahms symphony that ends quietly. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, later, huh. no, that's a really good point. Because I, I kind of want it just to kind of just go away, and then I get slapped in the face with two chords, which I like. But yeah, but it's also kind of I think it's sort of like it. I can now close the book on this story. Yeah, it is a nice book. Now yeah, we're know, done, and it's children. it always has sort of set a little bit uneasy with me those last two chords. Yeah, yeah, I think they're just it's a little bit tonal, not tonally. It's a little bit. Um, Dynamically out of place for me. It almost feels but, too but easy. Like, yeah, I, I think too cheap in a way. I don't want to say Beethoven's cheap, too I mean, cheap. But it does feel like we're, we're sort of cheated out of an ending. It, it really begs the question: Why? Why end it like that? Yeah, I don't know. I just I think that was just the style. Yeah, and it was a definitive ending for sure. Sure. And then I, you know, and then of course Beethoven does his traditional thing of putting fermatas over the rest at the end. Yeah. It's like why. <laughs> 
So do you slow down? He wants you to to stop and think for a moment. So yeah, that's so that's my next question. Yeah. Is do you then slow down before those last two chords? No. Because I've heard it. I've heard it done. I I I. There's this like pullback and then. You often hear a, a slowing down in advance of that um, on the page before this, uh, the pianissimo sotto voce, where the strings play by themselves, is often so slow that it feels like it's in six rather mm -hmm. than two. And I'm not sure that that's justified. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but I, a lot of people do it. I used to do. I used to yeah. do a slow down at the end there. I, I, the note's still there. It's in pencil. I forgot to erase yeah. it. But I, I, when I came, this is again. I, this is my first started. So this is just ju ju junior spaceman Larry conducting <laughs> choices. But now, now I've. I don't know. I, I maybe it, it maybe it slackens a little bit. But I, I had it like subdivided the last beat. Okay. And I would not do that again. I kind of like the the feeling of it ending almost abruptly. I exactly as if it we, as if we don't want it to end. That's exact. That's exactly right. I think. I think. Um, yeah. I think it should. It should have that sense of it because of the dynamics. Yeah. It sounds abrupt, uh, and so maybe it just needs to slam on into the end there. <laughs> so I think. I think uh, as the great way to think about it, it needs, intentionally needs to be abrupt. It is so. a little jarring to go from pianissimo to fortissimo. Yeah, it is. But those those kinds of contrasts too are 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 really what make Beethoven sound like Beethoven. Yeah, that's, yeah, oh, it's all. Yeah. I do love this. I do love this closing section though. When we get this, like these great chordal moments. Yeah. Of almost almost like a, a choral kind of setting. Oh yeah. It's just, yeah, it it's, does. It's feels just great almost, how they just almost, all of a sudden lines right up. Bum, bum, bum. Almost feels uh, religious in yeah. a way. Yeah. It, yeah. So he could have written in there. Yeah. Well, I, gentlemen, the show is getting kind of long. Uh, long in the tooth, I hate are to, we? I hate to cut That's it so off. surprising. We have gotten to the point where Matt's <laughs> doing calisthenics. <laughs> I've got, well, I've been sitting down too long. I stretch. You know, that's good. You know, yeah. it's good, good health. I'm gonna All be, right. going to be on the road this weekend going to going to Death Valley National Park for the first time. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I figure I might as well get some exercise in before I sit in a car for eight hours. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's smart. All right. Oh. Final thoughts, Beethoven 6. Uh, we'll start with McKeever. McKeever? Uh, final thought? <laughs> yeah. Am I here? You are here. You're alive. You know, I'm just going to give one final... Great. I'm just going to give one final thought that I, that I have about this, and that is, you know, I've had the opportunity to perform this once, not as a conductor, but on trumpet. And I spoke with the conductor um, just in conversation at lunch one day, uh, like during the run that we were doing of this. And he said to me, you know, Beethoven six doesn't get the applause that you want to at the end, even though it is some of the most beautiful music that Beethoven wrote. Absolutely. And we as conductors really appreciate that. And the musicians really appreciate that. And he was absolutely right. As much as I wanted the crowd to go wild and we were done with the whole piece, it is a little subdued because I think, in in some way, the entire symphony is a little subdued. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's as it should be. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, Brandon. Final thoughts. <clears throat> yeah, I thank you, Matthew. I will agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, this is one of the the one of the first symphonies that I remember hearing and paying attention to with Beethoven. Other than I think five for sure, I already mm -hmm. heard when I was young. 
Um, but this one caught my attention because it is so different in so many ways. Yeah. And I think for me, just the scene painting, um, I think, like I mentioned earlier, we get a whole different side of Beethoven with this piece. Um, almost like a friendly, cuddly, kind of, he's going to come up and hug you kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, that's not what I would have expected. You know? Beethoven in and, a hot chocolate sweater. Yeah, exactly. So Sarah I think fire. there's just some brilliant moments in this yeah. of writing and creativeness that we don't often see associated with his symphonies that are more formal and structured. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mainala, what do you got? I go back and forth on this one uh, being my favorite symphony uh, ever. Uh, for a while it was seven, and for a while it was six, and then for a while it was three. But I keep coming back to this one. It does something to me that's a little bit different. And I think because it is, uh, I think for musicians, a bit more special than it is for audiences. I think it comes across to audiences far different than it does to musicians who are playing it or who study it, who love it. And I think it's interesting. That's that, that phenomena. It, it sometimes we expect things to get massive applause, and they do. Sometimes they don't. And this is one of those ones that, for whatever reason, audiences have a bit harder, harder of a time with it. Sort of like um, with Debussy's La Mer, for instance. It, it seems to confuse people, but I, I think it's it, it's one of the most amazing things ever written. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah. Well, I, to, to, to me, this is one of my my. One of my favorites uh, for Beethoven, for sure. Uh, it's one of the first. I think it. I think it might have been the first one I ever conducted. Huh. And I just want to put a pitch in, as I, as <laughs> I sort of mentioned earlier, to people programming it. Program it. It's. It's got so many. If you have a community or a college orchestra, it's got a lot of stuff like pedagogical things you can do there. But it's just such a beautiful journey, um, and it's like you said, it's so rewarding for the musicians. So I just think. I think it, it, it needs to get done uh, a lot more often than it does, I think. Mm. Um, and also, for me, having been the first one, I, I remember when I was first conducting this, and I just had this moment, it's like, I'm actually conducting mm. Beethoven, and like to, cre to, to be part of the creation of that sound and to hear Beethoven's music coming at me, it's, it's just been always a special place, just for that own personal reason. And this okay. last movement particularly, um, it's... Uh, I don't know. It, it it just really speaks straight to my soul in that kind of, um, like you said, the warm, cuddly kind of Beethoven. Like you know, he he was not all darkness and 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 angst. He he was a, a human with just lo love and joy in his heart, and he loved nature. and And it, I just love that it comes out on the it's on the page and it comes out in the music. So you know, Larry, I've never been to Germany uh, or Austria. Should but this <laughs> symphony makes me homesick. Yeah. For Germany and Austria. You want to be in the Black Forest? I want to be out there. Uh, it, it's something about it. It has a special quality. Yeah, it really does. It, 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 so it speaks to that that, that German, you know, the, the Wanderlust, I think. Well, at least I think it does. Hiking. I, again, well, no, the there. Germans <laughs> are all about being it outside does. and yeah. hiking. And this is, this is yeah, it's... Wanderlust, yeah. Yeah, in the, in the foothills <laughs> of the Appalachian. Of, of the Appalachian. <laughs> That's where I live. No, where I'm from, sort of. But, uh, no. Alps, foothills of the Alps, but yeah, it's, it's and that and that and that that love of nature that yeah. just comes out, um, and we and we see that you know that great German tradition that goes on in other composers. So anyway, wonderful, wonderful to be with you, gentlemen, again. Um, McKeever, be safe in your bunker. Are we going to see you in person Promise. next week? You will see me in person next week. All right. Well, very good. You're going to bring the you're going to bring the bruise. And uh, we'll we'll be here. We we may or may not day drink next week. We'll see about that. But uh, 
Okay. Why not, right? Yeah, why not? All right. Anyway. the final tally goes. <laughs> oh, my God. You're not even going to go there. All right. So, anyway, so thanks very much for listening. Again, if you enjoy the show, please do uh, subscribe. That always helps, helps get the word out. And uh, until next week, this has been Conductor's Brew with Larry, Matt, and... Crew. And the crew. The crew is here again. So, thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Cheers.